0: Tough Love and Second Chances podcast is written and produced by Tony Bennett on behalf of Edgar and reveals remarkable stories of those who refuse to be defined by their disability. The power of the human spirit shines through with examples of how hope, courage, and the opportunity to express oneself through the game of golf makes for a combination that can improve and even save lives. Anyone who has met Gianna Rojas can easily recognise that she's a force of nature. A relative latecomer to the game of golf, she has turned into one of the game's fiercest advocates for its ability to bring people together in an inclusive manner that benefits everyone who cares to pick up a golf club. Gianna, who hails from Maine and so is called the maniac in the nicest sense of the word, is determined to spread the word that golf is for all, that everyone is differently abled, and that having a disability does not define the person. It took me a while to pull this interview and profile together, but it has been worth every minute. I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Gianna as much as I did. If you can tell me a little bit about you know, where you grew up as a child, and you know, then how you perhaps got involved in golf.
1: Well, um, actually I was born in 1962 in a small town called Bath, Maine, like as if you were taking a bath. Right. Uh, d- Dad, Dad was in the military, and he was stationed at the Naval Air Station in Brunswick, which is only a mile or so up the road. And my family um, on my father's side are all maniacs. We're all uh, <laughs> we're all, for, all, from Maine. <laughs> okay. In fact, they st- the property is still in the family to this day. But um, being my father was in the Navy, we, um, we kind of moved around a lot. It's like every other military family does um, every couple of years we were off onto a new mission and, um, and i could say it was it was quite daunting growing up in the 60s and 70s um, we were a culture that out of utmost respect and 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 uh, good intentions um, the culture the parents our grandparents taught us don't look don't stare don't ask questions um, which made people like myself uh, quite invisible right. and misunderstood. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, so it was a little, it was a little tough. Um, I think they have a term for it now. It's called bullying. But uh, yep. you know, I've been called names, left out, pushed down, got locked in a locker once for three and a half hours <laughs> in middle school. Okay. Um, so, so it was, it was, it was very challenging. Um, not only to be the new kid, but also the new kid that was a visible difference. Um, and it, it was tough.
0: So you were born with a disability?
1: Yes, sir. Um, I was born without fingers on my left hand, um, thus my one-handed lady uh, personal brand. Yep. Um, it was um, It was a time in the 50s and 60s where they were giving mothers uh, uh, a medication called thalidomide for um, morning sickness. And the pill did an amazing job for handling that first trimester and all of the the upset that happens um, in a woman's system and that nausea. So the pill did its job. Unfortunately, it did um, have some effects on many of the fetuses. during that first trimester is when your limbs are being formed. And there was, in that era, there was a, a huge spike in pa- babies being born with, with limb deficiencies. Um, and that's kind of where we're attributing where um, one of the factors that that caused me for being bor- born with no fingers.
0: So at what stage did you realize that you were a little bit different?
1: <laughs> um I can't remember or recall the very first time. Um, it might have been um, when I was interacting, old enough to interact with others outside the home. Um, school uh, was tough. Um, and, and I guess that was kind of where I first realized that, you know what, um, th- this is a difference that people don't understand. Um, and, and like I said, it's, it was quite daunting. <laughs>
0: yeah. It can be pretty brutal to go outside of the home for the first time and, and, and have, uh, peers point right. and, and stare. And, and certainly that's one of the things that that's come across. And we've done several interviews now, um, with players that have had, uh, some kind of issue with thalidomide and, mm-hmm it seems to be very common that there's a, there's an element of bullying. That's for sure. Um, but also there's a. I mean, I think for, for any adolescent, even when they're 12, 13, 14, 15 years of age, even if the hair's slightly the wrong color or their eyes are slightly the wrong color or there's a little bit too much weight or not enough weight, that's bad enough. Um, right. but it seems to be that this has been a pretty common theme.
1: Yes. Well, um, I think, again, it was not any ill just or or out of disrespect. Um, I think it was just that the culture and the generation, our parents and our grandparents um, were trying to be respectful in their good intentions to say, you know what, child uh, of mine, don't don't be staring and don't be asking questions and, and don't make any, you know, just don't 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 try to engage. Yeah. And, and, and that I think had the reverse effect of what the intentions were, was really made us misunderstood. Um, and, and, and you know what, we walk by, you get somebody who's in a wheelchair or something, don't look at them, don't stare at them. And, and that, that is one of the human needs is, is that we all need to connect. Correct. And, and, and to not be able to connect with people because of a difference. Um, it, it, it's a life last. It's a lifelong, lasting effect that um, helps and hinders us building our character.
0: Right, and you you were also from a military family, so you will have moved around a fair amount as well. So you make friends at one school, and then a few few weeks later, or months later, or years later, you got to go and do it all all again.
1: There was a time that I can remember where we probably moved every couple of years, um, and it's tough enough to be the new kid. You'll, you automatically have to earn your pecking order. People have to get to, the kids have to get to know you where you're, where you stand in pecking order in the school. You know, are you the outgoing bubbly, everybody loves them kid? Or are you that, that dark, uh, recluse? Uh, but that, that doesn't come just from, um, a disability. It's, it's, it's more, it, it's an everyday thing. You right. know, you, just as you move as an adult, you still have to rebuild your network of, of peers. And, and that is a, a constant process, um, especially for a military family. Um, one thing that I do now looking back, I am very glad for that opportunity and that, that, those experiences is that now I can build rapport with anybody, anytime, anywhere, everywhere <laughs> right? Yeah. In, a, in a matter of seconds, um, just because that is a skill that I, I had to learn. It was a survival skill for me.
0: So your family, do you have brothers and sisters?
1: I do. I am the oldest of three. Um, I have an Irish twin, we like to say. Right. Um, I, my sister and I are 11 months apart, so the month of August to September, from August 17th to September 21st, um, we're actually the same age. Okay. So. And then my younger brother, who is about three years behind uh, my sister and myself. they play golf? No. Neither? Nope. Neither. Um, we were not a sports family whatsoever that I can recall. Um, it was uh, – it just – my brother liked to tinker with mechanical stuff. He used to take all our bikes – he would take both bikes apart, put them together and make one bike and have parts <laughs> all over the place. And <laughs> usually all three bikes didn't work. So um, – it wasn't, we weren't really a sports family at all.
0: So tell me a little bit of how you got involved with golf. Because if you're not from a sports family, who was the first person to put a golf club in your hand and say, give this a go?
1: Well, my dad did play, although I didn't understand what it was. Um, when he would come home on leave, um, you know, he, he would play not um, an avid golfer, I would say, a leisure golfer, Um And uh, I I didn't realize what it was at that time. Um, Fast forward uh, 33 years ago, I met a gentleman um, who is now my beautiful husband. And uh, at the time he was playing a lot of softball. So um, at one point, I think he was on four different leagues. Uh, I used to hang out at the softball games and and, um, he played softball, he played football, he played golf. Um, So he was the sports guy. And, uh, and, and he's kind of the one that got me started, um, with, with trying to find out how to play golf.
0: So tell me how that looks. So you, (laughs) you, you go out to the driving range the first day or golf course or how did it, how did it look?
1: Well, um, what made me really want to learn to play golf, um, there was no, um, like I said, there was no history with it whatsoever. It's not something I understood, Um, he was playing golf, um, with his friends and his friend's wives and they were playing, they'd go out Saturday morning, eight o'clock every morning, meet at the club and they'd go out and play. They'd get to the 15th hole and they would call me up and I would come up and have lunch. Um, and they would sit around and talk about their round in the morning, which all golfers do. Um, I don't have any, anything to contribute there. So I quietly eat my lunch. Um, grateful that they, they at least included me in that. And then sometimes they would go back out and play another round and I'd go back home. Same thing on Sunday morning. And, you know, they would get sometimes, you know, four or five rounds of golf in on a weekend. Um, I started feeling like that 13-year-old girl again being left out. and 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 I said, you know what? Well, dang, if I was able to learn how to do everything that I have throughout my life. I I'm a mother of three or uh, uh, two and I've got grandbabies and I've cleaned houses and cooked and cleaned just like every other woman and mother does. Um, then why, why not try to figure out how I can spend a little more time with my husband and, uh, and, and, and learn to play golf. So I started hanging around with him at the driving ranges. Um, I would just go and watch, um, a couple of times, we had some of the uh, teaching professionals that he would go for his tune-ups. Um, and uh, at one point, I said, "You know what? Give me that. Let me let let let's try to figure this out." And the biggest challenge was trying to have um, someone who was able to help me. Um, most of the instructors that I have been exposed to. Um, had never taught anybody with anything other than a two-handed, able-bodied, for lack of better words, golf swing. Um, so we, we tried to, to figure out what the fundamentals were and then really just kind of had to adapt on our own. Um, I think part of the biggest challenge was the mindset of the teaching professionals that they needed to figure out how to help me get two points of contact on the club. Right whether it be um, if because one arm is my left arm is um, developed shorter than my right arm, um, which is a little different than someone who may be an amputation or or have lost some digits, um, their arm is proportionately to their other arm, mm-hmm. so for me to try to put both my my hand with uh, a grip. Uh, a normal grip and then try to get my, um, my hand with no fingers on the club. Um, I was not square anymore. I was, should- my th- my shoulders weren't square. There was, right. there was no, you know, lead arm, trail arm kind of process there. Um, and then we had a couple of people that said, you know, there are prosthetics out there that introduced me to the first thoughts that, Hey, you know what, there's some adaptive resources out there to help people and we tried that and you know when you're born you're born with what you have your neurological wiring knows what you have um so it would be the same as if someone were to lose their left hand and give it to me neither one of us would know what to do so it just it hindered more right and then we just started playing around with the idea of well then let's not even put that other hand in there let's let's just Let's just figure out how to swing with just one arm. Um and so it was a lot of trial and error, actually a lot of error
0: <laughs> yeah, throughout it the is. trial
1: and error. It yeah. always is. Um and we and we just just kept uh pun intended chipping away at it to figure out um how I could best get the result at least enough that um that I could go out and once in a while, go out and play with him and the friends and the friends' wives.
0: You will have experimented with backhand and you will have yes. experimented with forehand, so to speak. Yes. So yes. what was your experience of the two and why did you decide to go the way you are now?
1: Well, um, I have to to also mention that um, some of those previous instructors are some very well known instructors um there's a golf show that they do here in New Jersey every year and uh i believe the first year when we were just trying to get all this settled in um the first year uh Hank Haney was speaking at the show um of course we sat in the audience and uh um he was asking at the end of it you know if anybody had any questions Uh, you know, he'd be more than happy to answer. Um, I started to put my hand up and my husband quickly grabbed my hand and he goes, I don't (laughs) think that's a question you want to ask in front of everybody. Um, it's not going to do anybody else any good. Um, so we waited until after the question and answer session was over. And as people were leaving, um, we went up and he, uh, Hank Haney had me come up on stage and he said, let me just see what you're working with. Let, 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 let me, let me see what you're, you're doing. Um, so we showed him, uh, me swinging with, uh, the right. And, uh, and he says, you know what, is that working for you? I said, kinda, <laughs> uh, now this is only, this is going back about eight years ago. So I had just started and uh, he said, you know what, why, why don't you just stay with that? And, and we did, um, and next year comes by, we go to the show every year. Uh, now Michael Breed's there and we asked him the same question, um, And he had the same answer. He goes, well, if you're comfortable doing that, just stay with that. Um, He had been – he comes to the show every – every. I guess he's been here every year for about three or four years now. Um, So so I've seen him. And we actually had one that told me that I should be swinging lefty. Okay. And you might know his name. His name is Chichi Rodriguez. So uh, Chichi was actually at the golf show. And my husband's nickname, because uh, his family is from Puerto Rico, um, his, all his friends call him Chi Chi. In fact, his golf balls say Chi Chi on him. <laughs> okay. So um, we went up and talked to him. And uh, I said, Oh, you know, I told my husband, get in there, get a picture of two Chi Chi's together. Um, so my husband's standing next to Chi Chi Rodriguez and going ready to take the picture. And, and he goes, So, do you want some advice? And my husband's like, well, yeah, whatever golf advice you'd like. He goes, well, no, I'm not going to give you golf advice. And he t- patted him on the belly and said, no more bread and rice. <laughs> <laughs> he's a little bit little bit heavier than he is now. And, and he took the diet advice from him. I said, it's kind of funny because he's getting diet advice. And then when I go up to Chi Chi, he's telling me that I should be throwing the ball away for me, that I should be going with my backhand. I should be backhanded right. hitting lefty. He says, you will have a lot more distance that way because that helps you get your turn to get your shoulder under your chin. Okay. So that was, that was the, that was those, uh, different, uh, mindsets. Now, every time I see Chi Chi, I see him at the, at the PGA show every year and every year he's asking me, are you throwing the ball away? No, I'm not Chi Chi. I'm still swinging right-handed. Um, so it's, it's, um, you know, it, 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 it was a work in progress. Um, and now I am able to, um, not only leisurely play, but I am also now competing um, as an adaptive athlete and representing um, females uh, to let more women that have challenges know they also can get out there. And best way to do that is by example.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's interesting that because we obviously speak to lots of players and you know, we, we have quite good connections with many players around the world. And Oftentimes we hear that when playing one handed that if you play forehand you tend to hit a little bit further. If you play backhand you tend to hit a little bit straighter. And this That's is the thing. this That's seems the to be the kind of this seems to be the general the general consensus. But having said that, it is down to every individual and, and there's many examples and, and you're certainly one of them who you know you play right hand you play right handed forehand. And uh, that's that's absolutely fine. There's, there's no no kind of issue with it, and I'm sure that the next person that we speak to may well play right-handed backhand. So, no mm-hmm. rights and yep. no wrongs. Just everybody's different, yep. and, and everybody is different. It.
1: So, it, it depends on also what you are looking for out of your game, what your expectations are, and it's one of the things when I run my adaptive clinics. When we first start talking to some a new golfer or someone who's never played before what it, what is it that your expectations are is, are your expectations just um, and it, initially with the goal, those that haven't played before that didn't know they could um, we're using it as a therapeutic activity so there's the therapeutic activity side of it then there's the leisure game side of it which is fine as well it's a different mindset though when you start talking about competitive and 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 really fine-tuning and getting into the competition expectations part of golf so there's kind of three different mindsets and three different ways of approaching someone when you're teaching them
0: I think you're very I think you're very right and we certainly as far as um, over here in Europe we tend to think about participation we tend to think about competition and we tend to think about fandom and we understand that It's absolutely fine if somebody can only take a club in their hand, roll the ball along the ground. And even if they can't take a club in their hand, if they just can have it strapped to their hand or their arm, Mm -hmm. sat in a chair and just swing their arm backwards and forwards and roll the ball along the ground, that's fine. That's participation as far as we're concerned. And they get a lot of good things out of that, just the very fact that they're, they're participating in a sport. And um and that's fine. That that's that's a, a definition of golf. You take a stick to hit an object to a target, and if you do that, <laughs> that's fine. That's it's all good. If so, you get
1: a chance you gotta watch the Robin Williams explanation of golf. <laughs> oh yes, yes, I've I've seen it and it's it's extremely
0: funny. Tell me, so you, you started about eight years ago, you said, I think.
1: Yes, yes, sir.
0: And so now you are very much involved in um, what i'll call adaptive golf we tend to call it golf for the disabled or all abilities golf um i think we're talking the same language it's just like yes. different terminology mm-hmm. so what was it that that's it's, it's beyond the game now isn't it it's not oh, just about the game it's about something else so can you explain a little bit that to me
1: yes i actually like to say that golf is just the conduit to help unlocking people that have doubted their potential and doubted the, – the question of can I do something, if you have the mindset that you're, you possibly can't do something, doubt always creeps in and limits you because you, then you never try because you ask yourself, can I? Well, I can't. I only have one hand or I can't because I have one leg or I can't because I can't get out of this wheelchair they can't themselves all to, to not do anything. Mm -hmm. What I like to try to empower people with is questioning in a different way, in a different part of the brain and, and, and start questioning, how can I? Because when you say, how can I, you've already decided you're going to do it. We just have to figure the how part out. So that is to me golf that, that just unlocks so much, other areas of people's lives. Um, it, so the golf is just the way to open that, that door and, and get them to stop limiting themselves for their own doubts and their own beliefs and to be empowered, as you mentioned, someone who may be barely able to move. And we've had some in our clinics where we have a gentleman by the name of David who has got extreme Um, challenges in in many different areas, and and the most prevailing one um, is because he has has, uh, muscular dystrophy, and it's a progressive. Um, He went from a young boy who is playing sports to a young man who is now in a wheelchair on a trach tube. Um, He can barely move anything in his body without the assistance of his caretakers and his parents, Um, even to adjust his head to look um he is an amazing story that that a success story that we've been able to help unlock he is golf's greatest fanatic he's fanatic to the bones he follows everybody on the PGA tour who knows him the players know him the staff knows him the volunteers know him um he's at as many of the games as they can get him to um anytime there's a tour anywhere in in our area he's definitely a staple there you you'll see him at, at every day um, he has his own parking spots designated by the sponsors, but he'd never touched a golf club before. And when I reached out to his father and said, you know, why don't you bring David down? We're doing a PGA store tour, superstores. stores. We do a, uh, an adaptive cl- clinic once a month. And he says, oh, I don't think you understand. He can't. And I said, well, why can't he? He said, he can't move. You, you, I don't think you understand. Um, I said, well, you know what? Bring him down. We had him rolling golf balls, just putting,
0: yeah.
1: um, helping, assisting him. Um, he wasn't able to grip onto the club and extend his arm out far enough around the, the wheelchair. Now, he not only has the wheelchair, he also has a wagon that they drag behind with all of his breathing and, and yeah. all the equipment that he has. Bring the whole thing. Put it all out there. And we had him the first ball – um, he, we helped him roll. We assisted him. His father came over and readjusted his, his head and readjusted his back. So he would sit up a little straighter by the third ball. He was picking his head up off of his seated area. He was just picking his head up enough just to be able, cause we kept saying, look at the hole, look where you want it to go. Look at the hole. And he just started to lift his neck up without the assistance of his father. He got a hole. He holed it putting, from probably about 10 feet. And when you saw the joy on this guy's face, I look over at his father. His father's crying. Now I'm crying. Yeah. <laughs> the other people standing around watching, we, 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 I, I, I use this video all the time because I don't have to explain adaptive golf when you see that. When you see what it did for this young man, somebody who is golf's greatest fan, never touched a golf club, left there a golfer that day. And and that's that's what the whole why, that's the purpose that it's all about.
0: I think this is what we're trying to explain a lot of the time to the major organizations that if we define a golfer as somebody who goes out on the golf course, plays 18 holes, has a handicap, plays three or four times a week or three or four times a month, I should say, then we are limiting the game. The, the, yes. the game isn't that. The game is somebody who goes out and engages in the sport in whatever way that they can engage in it. And you and I have both shared similar stories there about somebody just taking a club, having it strapped in. In the case that we had, um, strapped to their arm, they could just mm-hmm. simply move their arm underneath the shoulder. That's about all they could do. Swing it almost in, with with gravity, and um, they could roll the ball. And in their in their mind, at that moment, they're golfers. They're doing yes. exactly what everybody else is doing. They're playing. They're playing the game. So, uh, all power to you! Congratulations yeah. for that. And you've set up a, a, an organization as well, I know.
1: Yes, actually, um, I have a little bit of a of a history story here. Um, I'll try to try to be brief, but it's been a journey, but it's happened very quickly. So hopefully, I can go through this quickly. Um, I was uh, working with the March of Dimes. Um, actually, um, one of the things uh, you had mentioned about. Um, finding something that people would be surprised about. Um, I was March of Dimes' poster child for the state of Florida from 1972 to 1976. Now, neighbor... You're going
0: have to explain to us what March of Dimes is because that's not something that's going to translate across to Europe. Right, right.
1: Well, actually, it might. Um, March of Dimes is an organization that started back in 1938 by mm-hmm. our president, Franklin D. Roosevelt, here in the U.S. Actually, I think it was his wife that started this. Um, there was a, uh, a very bad epidemic of polio. Um, Eleanor, I believe, is the one that smacked him in the head and said, hey, you know what, you're the president, do something about this virus. He himself had contracted the virus. Mm-hmm. Um, so he employed, uh, employed yeah. he asked the uh, communities in, in, the, in the country to um, send a dime at that time in the 1930s, a dime was probably a week's worth of food um, during that time. So he asked for them to send a dime to the White House. What they did was they took all of these dimes and they put it into research for the Salk vaccine, um, which now is the polio vaccine that that every child gets here. Um, and, and it helped eradicate polio. So in the sense, March of Dimes, it started off as National Foundation. And uh, I think it was Eddie Cantor, one of the comedians that actually um, coined the phrase for puns. Um, I'm full of those. Watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, he uh, he 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 called it the March of Dimes. Um, they had asked mothers to come in um, since the families were working and, and at school. Um, Mothers were at home. So if you could spare an hour to come in and and help count these dimes, um, you know, that's how they were able to do that. So all of that information and all of that research um, came about. And um, once we had the polio vaccine eradicated, um, there was this new trend, which I briefly touched on before with um, thalidomide, with why is there this spike in all these babies being born with limb deficiencies? So March of Dimes really is the organization behind the research. Um, When I was in the March of Dimes in Florida, I worked with the Shriners Hospital and had chromosomal and genetic testing, which was paid for by the March of Dimes and um, the Shriners. And it was, everything came back inconclusive on why I was born with no fingers when there's no one in my family history. There's nothing wrong in my chromosomal or genetic makeup. Um, so, the standing factor was thalidomide, and March Dimes, on an advocacy level, advocated to get thalidomide taken off the market. Um, so, thus, that is the story of the March Dimes, who is okay, now okay. still in existence here, um, and um, they are now on a focus of premature birth and what, what is the factors that can be changed that causes prematurity. So being the March of Dimes poster child for the state of Florida next door neighbor. Um, I had a birth defect and they were just coming from the polio campaign into birth defects. Um, so that was my childhood for those amount of years. Then dad was in the Navy we moved again and there goes that never thought about it again until about, um, nine, actually 10 years ago. Um, A friend of ours was a chairperson for the March of Dimes, um, and he mentioned that um, he was at a walk. Uh, They do a a walk here for every community um, to raise awareness and raise money for the March of Dimes. And I said, well, I used to be in the March of Dimes when I was a little girl, and I'd like to volunteer and get reconnected. So I did. March of Dimes hired me um, to be the community director, and I ran the walk at um, a very high-profile venue at Liberty State Park, which is where the Statue of Liberty is, um, and also Liberty National Golf Course. Um, so for the six years that I was working with the March of Dimes, my ability to play golf, I was using that to be able to go out and tell my story and how I overcame my birth defect. And here I am now playing golf. Um, I was bringing attention to my birth defect with the golf um about may of last year um the march of dimes did a reorganization where they were combining community walks into bigger walks and they laid off 150 positions not people is what i was told um and at first i was a little blindsided because i was one of those people that got laid off and i was like i felt like saying well do you know who i am (laughs) i'm a walking breathing i was born i thought that was my calling in life and by using golf as that story to bring the attention, uh, a friend of mine said, you know, Gianna, you got something here. She said, uh, you're, you're, you're bringing awareness to your birth defect. She said, but how many other people can you help by doing so? And we started messing around to find out what URLs were available. Adaptive golf was already taken. And I said, all right, well, how about adaptive golf first? Because I'm the golfer. I'm coming from the golfer's perspective. I'm not someone that has a product or a service. I'm not a teaching professional. Um, It's all coming from me, the golfer's perspective, and what resources I might need. Um, During my journey to find out how to play, I started these relationships with all these amazing organizations um, and all these resources and all these products, but they're not being showcased and not being talked about enough where we knew about them or my teaching uh, initial teaching professionals even knew anything about it. Um, So thus uh, the challenge that she set me up with turned into me starting a website that would have these resources and, and how I was going to be able to get those out there to the general public so that people that have challenges also know about these resources um, I do martial. Um, I call myself a professional shusher. <laughs> uh, I'm a marshal for the PGA Tour, um, and I do the, uh, the. At the time, it was the Barclays because it was at Liberty National, right. in my county where I was running my walk. Um, they had a a social media vote, um, a volunteer challenge. Whoever got the most votes, um, social media wise, was able to provide. Um, a $5,000 check to the charity of their choice. Well, my charity of choice was my walk for the March of Dimes. So I put my submission in to be part of that. And um, one of the things my husband did was he took a nice video of my golf swing. And we figured if we publish that out on YouTube, uh, people are dumping a bucket of ice on their head and it's going viral. Why can't a one-handed lady golfer go viral? So we stuck it out there and lo and behold, not only did it go viral, not in numbers, but in the reach, Um, I was getting uh, responses and kudos from people from all over the world. And it was just kind of an aha moment, I guess you could say that. You know what? This is something that, a message that people do need to hear. Um, And because of my Um, lack of shyness, I guess is the best word for it. Um, I have no problem with the media, with celebrities, with athletes, with everyday people, even babies and carriages at the, at the grocery store. I mean, I just talk to anybody, anytime, every, anywhere the same way. And I just wanted people to hear that there is this opportunity for people that have challenges to be able to find all of the resources that they need and to be able to really get out, and, and we're, we're not meant to be isolated. We're not supposed to be home, depressed, and, and, and left out of everything. Um, we're, so, we're social creatures. We need to be out and be around others. And this was an independent activity. Um, it's between you, the ball, and the hole. Necessarily, you don't, you're not going to get injured. There's no linebacker that's going to tackle you if you have a bad shot. And the ball and the hole don't care if you roll it with your nose or even if you get there. So it lends itself perfectly to someone who has any type of ability. Um, And so she said, you know what, let's go, let's do this. So um, I got the 501c3. Uh, It's been about a year and a half now. Um, One of the biggest things that I've been able to do is is use my voice. um, And I'm able to actually be the adaptive athlete out there. So I'm actually walking the talk. Um, hoping that by example, um, a lot of my media appearances have resulted in people reaching out to me going, wow, my daughter saw you on the, on the news or, or, you know, we, we, we came across your, your information and we saw you on the, the local news. My husband had a stroke and he, he's depressed. I'm losing him because he's just not with me anymore, mind wise. Um, and, and he used to be a golfer and you know, I heard that you guys got a clinic, can he come? And it's just been, it's, it's, it's evolving into something much, much, much greater than I even had any, any idea that it was going to. Um, so now I'm using the voice to really get out there and say, Hey, you know what? Anybody that wants to, no matter what your ability is, um, You you can you 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 can get out there. You can get out there. We've got to train trainers that we're teaching teaching professionals to teach adaptive golf. Um, Where I'm also speaking to the industry about ways that they can make their golf courses more accessible, um, different resources that they can have available, so that even in the private clubs that you can retain your members. You know your members are aging; they're having illnesses and injuries and arthritis. These are tools that that need to be showcased um so you can continue to have golfers coming to your courses um it's just in all around it's the whole package
0: well more power to you you're obviously doing some very good work and i've seen quite a lot of the stuff that you've been doing and obviously i made sure that i went through that uh, before we started to speak so <laughs> you know congratulations on what you're doing and congratulations on using your voice and using it so well uh, Tell me, is there anything about you that might surprise us?
1: Um, Going back to me being in the March of Dimes in the 70s for the state of Florida, um, I met a man that was uh, part of a national photo shoot. Um, At the time, I mentioned that that we were coming out of the polio campaign into the birth defect campaign. So the national poster child flew out to Florida. Um, And uh, I sat on this man's lap not knowing anything about golf or even could never foresee what was going to come down the road. This man's name was Arnold Palmer. Really? Arnold Palmer was a huge supporter of the March of Dimes throughout his career, throughout his life. Um, I believe his father uh, may have had a touch with the virus. Um, he has actually got a little corner in the U.S.G.A. Museum here in New Jersey um, with his, some of his um, some of his awards and accolades for his participation in the March of Dimes. So here I am sitting on this man's lap. I have no idea who he is or even what golf is, and I have to turn around and, and look and, and I've got it in my, my little scrapbook I've got the picture of him with the, with the national poster child and then all the pictures of us at the, at the, uh, at the dinner after um, I was like wow maybe that's where destiny happened right there way back in the 1970s when I sat on his lap to bring very, me around this.
0: I was very lucky to meet Mr. Palmer on a couple of occasions and the one thing that struck me the very first time that I met him was that he had a kind face yeah and he had massive hands yes he did <laughs> enormous hands i've never <laughs> seen hands as big they they were just huge and that, i remember that very first time that i met him i was trying to get his autograph actually the very first time i met him and um i put a i, I gave him the pen and this pen just disappeared in his hand i thought well how's he writing because i can't even see yeah. the pen <laughs> but uh, no he was a, it was a, a a very very impressive man and a uh, really kind man so i met him much later as well and uh, he was uh, just uh, just the same yeah tell me are there any patterns in your life now that you attribute to your upbringing
1: yeah i think we touched a little bit about that um the continuing um the continual build of rapport and how to try to i'm always trying to make other people comfortable around me Um, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. Um, I have this little thing I do with children who are staring and you know, you got, you got the kids that will have that question. Look, some of them will come right up and I love it when they come up and ask. Um, I just, I, I, I eat that right up and I see sometimes they're afraid, they're afraid of me. Um, so I came up with this little story. This, my hand is, I've named him. It's a him, uh, because it separates, I'm a female. Now that's a him. So, in their mind, that's the, that disconnects the two.
0: Mm-hmm. His
1: name's Charlie and he's my buddy. He helps me do everything. And I usually say, you know, buddy helps you do everything. Right. And they go, huh? I said, well, he helps me tie my shoes. He helps me get dressed. He helps me do everything. I said, and, uh, but he's a little shy. He's afraid you won't like him. And usually when you tell a child, they won't something, they go, yes, I will. Then you get into the no, you won't. Then you get into the yes, I will. So I play this little puppet game where I hide and behind I put my cup, my, my – uh, for lack of better words, regular hand over yeah. Charlie, and I peek just a little tiny bit out. And I go, oh, he's afraid that you won't like him. And you have to say, come out, Charlie. So they'll go, come out, Charlie, and I'll do it a little half. And I say, oh, oh no, no, he's still very shy. He's still afraid. And I can usually watch their body to see when they relax a little bit enough. So then I bring them out and then I just tell them the truth. I say that when my I was a baby and I was in my mommy's belly, my hand didn't grow all the way um, because my mommy got sick. And they can usually, at that point, they just forget all about it. And then we just go on about our relationship or, right. or our talk or whatever, because then they're no longer afraid of me because I don't want them to be afraid of me. I can, I can have them under, misunderstand and not know because of not being exposed because of my hand, but to be completely afraid of the whole person and I think this goes to the bigger message is that it this this does not define me right um, not having fingers on my left hand does not make me any less intelligent does not make me any less any different in my character than if I were to have two hands or anybody who has a challenge with with any type of um, I don't like to say disability. I don't like anything dis. I call it differently abled, because we're able. We're just going to do it a little differently, maybe a little slower, but um, but we're able to do whatever we put our hearts and our minds to. So, for me, the bigger message is that this does not define me. Um, it's just one of those limitations that I just have to find another way to do things. That. I, to me, I'm, I'm learning as I go. You know, I was born this way. So I, you learn how to tie your shoes. You learn right from the beginning. I just learned a different way. Um, and, and that carries out throughout my whole life. And hopefully that's one of the messages that, um, I can help people that don't have the challenges and to try to help some of that. un sometimes it's unconscious bias. Sometimes it's conscious bias. Um, but just bringing to the fact that, um, we are all individuals. We all have unique challenges. Some you see, some you do not see. Um, it, it, it's a, it's not a defining of the whole. It's just a part of.
0: Absolutely. hundred percent. If you could magically be with someone who has a similar challenge to yourself, um, and you can pick the time on this. So this can be when they first realize this can be at the point where they're maybe experiencing a little bit of a tough time with their bullies that are out there or maybe they're having some difficulty doing something. Um, What would you want to, what what advice would you want to offer them?
1: Don't question. Can I question how, how can I, Um, I have spoke on this topic, not uh, particularly about golf, but just about life in general and never really allowing your doubts to control and and keep you from trying to do things um it's uh it, it it's it's kind of hard to explain it's it's one of those it's 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 empowerment you know be be empowered to try even if you think you can't i mean just give it a try um, you might have to do it differently. Trial and error. Don't don't ever take no for an answer. Um, just just try it and see if there's ways that you can work out. And 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 don't be afraid to ask if somebody else can help you figure out how. Um, a lot of times I find that I am a little too independent for my own good. Um, if anybody were to ever ask me, hey, can I give you a hand with that? Ninety five percent of the time I will not. Accept the help. Um, I know it, it. it is some, most of the time it's done in good intentions. They want, it makes people feel good to try to help you. Uh, my usual comment is if they ask me, hey, can I give you a hand with that? I'll say, um, I'll take your left one, but I don't need any help. Right. Um, <laughs> but then again, I also have to keep in check in myself too and say, you know what? It, it help people want to help and it makes them feel good. And I'm actually robbing them the gift of giving if I allow them if I don't allow them to every once in a while, you know, when it's something I'm really, really struggling with. Okay. But if it's something I can do um, and that, that same goes on the same on the other end is that don't always be so quick to offer help to somebody who has a challenge Um, just because they're not doing it the way you think that they could be doing it or you think they can't do it because it's kind of condescending. You know, if I've got something that's very easy, like I'm picking up two bags oh, can I give you a hand with that? Well, why do I need a hand to pick up two bags? You know, so I, I try to help yeah. the other end see it from the other perspective as well.
0: Gianna, it's been fascinating chatting to you. <laughs> uh, really you. enjoyed chatting to you. I really enjoyed your story. Um, hopefully we can do this justice when we actually write this. Um, if somebody wanted to reach you, I know I've got the details here, but Yes, we want you obviously to to say those details. But if somebody wanted to reach you, how could they find you?
1: Um, I do have my website. Um, it's uh, adaptivegolfers.org. dot um, org. On there, you'll find uh, many different resources. Um, you'll find links to different organizations, um, different products. Um, also, um, I have a a. Uh, contact information, uh, where people can leave me a message, um, maybe ask a question or how to, um, I'm always willing to, to participate in helping anybody discover their potential. Um, you can also just Google one handed lady golfer. And, uh, some people are afraid to even say that. Um, but that's my personal brand. And I, I go by that. Um, if you say one handed lady golfer, people will know that before they even know my name
0: (laughs) well gianna thanks very much for your time i really appreciate it your fire is just about to go out there i think behind (laughs) you um i know that you've probably got somebody there who's who's ready for this uh, christmas uh decorations (laughs) that you can see behind you Uh, so thanks for your time i really appreciate it and yes uh, it's been a it's been a fascinating conversation
1: Thank you very much. Um, it is really an honor to actually physically talk to you. I know we've heard about each other for, for a, num- a couple of years here, um, and, and I'm just thrilled to death um, to be able to help contribute to the, the whole picture of this. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm usually easy to talk to because I'm not selling anything, I'm not asking anybody for anything. I'm just trying to spread the awareness and, uh, and really try to help more individuals from both sides, the industry and the individual, um, to understand how we can all get out there and play golf all together. Um, it's all inclusive. And, um, you know, anything I can do and, and contribute to, I'd be more than happy to.
0: Well, good luck to you, Gianna.
1: Yes, you too, sir. And happy holidays to you.
0: And to you. Take care. This was an Edgar Player Story supported by Ping, helping golfers to play their best. For more information about Edgar, please visit edgargolf.com. Stay tuned for the next Tough Love and Second Chances podcast. Ping. Play your best.